Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack Release Show. My name is Samos. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. Hello. 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 And today, we're going to do an episode <laughs> that came from our audience. Sometimes we like to do episodes based on what our audience wants. And this is one of those episodes. So today we are going to talk about what a typical signal flow or workflow looks like and how we process things, the order in which we process things, and why we've chosen the piece of gear or gears that we use gears. in our chain and when we master. So this one might get a little nerdy, a little technical, a little gear episode, a little secret gear episode perhaps. Sneaking one in. Sneak one in. And I think it'll be fun. So Matt, you want to get into it? Let's get into it. Awesome. I'm going to tee you up, Matt. Uh-oh. Let's talk about... Well, we're going to talk about a quote-unquote typical signal flow. Let's put the disclaimer out that Matt and I both will serve your song however needed, so sometimes typical doesn't work. But there is usually maybe a starting place. So Matt, what does that look like for you? What's your flow like? Uh, my flow, my signal flow is completely different for every single song. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I mean, some stuff doesn't even need to come out of the box, and that's cool. But nine times out of ten, I normally do hit like a piece of gear. Um... I don't know. It's 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 a really difficult question to ask, and it's like the standard mastering engineer B, BS answer of like, well, it depends. <laughs> and uh, it's like, I mean, in terms of like how I'm like, say like my manly backbone, how's that organized? Uh, as of now, with some recent gear additions, it is a originally it's coming out. It's hitting the backbone and you got some like input trims uh it's hitting the dangerous backs which is fun uh it's like literally just like, if you just like have like a top end or a low end problem you're just like boop half a db and you're there it just it just solves everything really nice then to the manly massive passive which is nice but i don't use i can't use it for everything if something's like I actually don't even know how to describe this this genre, but there's a very specific genre that it just does not work for. And it's just like, it's just too much color. Um, everything, like literally you just say, it's like, man, I really wish this song had more X. And then regardless of how like disgusting in your mind you know that frequency to be, it's like, this needs more like low mid. And it's like, you just dial in 390 and like you just kind of cringe. <laughs> And you just like kind of boost a little bit of 390, and you're like, oh my God, that's so nice. Yes. So that's how the manly goes. Um, and then I think in between that, I just got a manly very muse. So I think I'm going to actually move it forward. I'm a very much like EQ before compression, but I think I'm going to kind of put this guy in between the backs and the massive passive mm. just because it doesn't handle like. Some of the heat that the not like heat, just like the level that some of the later parts of the chain are able to handle. Yes. Like it'll start compressing and I don't want it compressing that like 
at all <laughs> sometimes. So I think I'm going to patch it between the backs and the massive passive and essentially you tune the backs for what you want the very mute to hit. And then this is if you're using everything. You don't even have you can just bypass anything. And then the massive passive makes up for anything that like, eh, I kind of wish I was doing this as well. So, but all of this gear can be bypassed. So that's channel one. That's my super channel. And that one <laughs> channel can literally master a whole tune. So that's my super channel. Super and channel. Two and three, I don't do anything on because it's a mid-side channel. And I only, I don't believe in, I don't really like mid-side compression. I try to do as little as I can in it. And if I do anything, it's just like a really quick like EQ correction. I got, uh, what is it, like Ozo 9. Mm-hmm. Recently I upgraded from 7 to 9. And I really just, I like it. I like how it sounds. And so anything mid-side, I normally just do in there uh, via the EQ. And then, let's see. So yeah, 2-3, I don't do anything. And if I turn that sucker on, it's just to play with the stereo widener. But I don't really do that much. And then 4 is kind of fun because that one has the foot control systems P3S ME on it, which is new, and got it for a little bit of a deal. So that's there, and I'm kind of playing with that. And then from there it goes to my Neve, which I used to use a Silk a lot, and I've kind of... I don't know if that was a phase of like the new shiny, but uh, I've kind of got I've kind of dialed back on the silk, and I really 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 like the stereo field editor. I think it's like one of the best things I've ever heard, and like I love the limiter on it, and I literally have the limiter just set at noon. I think it's like what is it minus? Uh, you're gonna hear a lot of like me moving around the mic right now. <laughs> <laughs> trying to look at where I just have it set. It's at 18. And it's just like a really good part on the meter. Um, and not a lot of like crunchiness happens there. I don't like hearing it soft clip. So that's really where that's set. And I mean, I might like hit the light a little bit uh, sometimes. I mean, if, sometimes I don't even use it. And then the gain is just really fun on it. It's like, it's got just like a little bit of a tone to it. And a few clicks of that, if you just need a little bit of level is definitely fun. Um, Then the MPL2 is fun by Maslick on channel 6. And I don't know. I use a little bit of the the input gain is nice. Don't really do much with the limiter unless it's just like something that's like bumping a lot and it's like, all right, cool, let's go limiter on hard. And you just kind of like tickle that zero light and it just bumps a little bit which is fun. And then it's got a little DSing function, like a high-frequency peak reduction, which is nice. And that can go into MS mode. Like you're just... I think it's like you're either treating just to the mono or mm-hmm. you're doing everything. So that's fun. And then... Yeah. I'm kind of like building some other things that I don't really want to talk about. But... uh I do that, and then I go to my output, and then I've been really messing with ADs recently, um, uh, analog to digital converters. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, like for some reason, I'm kind of 
falling out of love with the sound of the Hilo AD. So I've been playing around a little bit and uh, kind of liking what I'm hearing. So I got a, uh, <laughs> I demoed the Dangerous AD Plus. That thing is nice and shiny and good sounding. Like one of the appeals, <clears throat> one of the appeals of it that was nice is that it has two analog inputs, so you can have your chain, and then I could switch uh, to another analog input just to have like my podcasting rig just always ready just to switch, mm-hmm. which would be cool. And then it's got that custom wound Hammond transformer in it. Excuse me. <coughs> that was I'm getting a little phlegmy. <laughs> it's a weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it has like a custom on Hammond transformer in it that you can essentially drive. And that's cool because you can just be like, I want this to sound hi-fi now. And you just turn it on and you just, I don't know, give it like half a turn. and Not even half, you give it like a quarter of a turn and it just sounds hi-fi. Mm-hmm. And like brings out the definition, the low end tightens up and <clears throat> the top end gets all sizzly and... It was pretty. It was pretty cool. My my favorite thing about it is the meter. The meter was, I don't know, it's about the size of your palm. I guess, like looking <laughs> from left to right. I suppose. Uh, it was, it, what was nice is that it measured uh, peak and RMS levels, so that like you knew where you were driving, like like leaving your AD, and then I was going to drive back into the Hilo, uh, just to do like my conversion. I'm already digital, so I'm just going to go. Uh, it's just going to take the digital signal and just throw it through the thunderbolt back to the back to logic. Um, but yeah, I was able to see the RMS level and the peak levels, um, which not a lot of converters show, which is pretty advantageous in the mastering stage. It's like you know exactly where you are, which is fun. Everyone kind of loses their mind about that whole like. There's like a button on it that turns off the red clipping light, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Man, eh, it's kind of stupid." <laughs> Never had an issue with that. If you just run your shit straight, <laughs> you're going to be good to go. And you won't really have to worry about a light. Um, so I had that. And I actually, I, I'm just kind of guessing that it's just a random piece of software that tells the other piece of software just to not turn on the red light. <laughs> because it does absolutely nothing besides just turn off any red light that might be happening. Like if I were to, if I were to clip the Dangerous and then clip the Hilo... It just, but I press it on. It just turns off the light in the helo, and I was like, "All right, well, <laughs> whatever." So, <laughs> did that, and then I'm kind of uh, with Vintage King right now. I'm kind of uh, playing around with a Lavery Gold and MK3, which has been really fun. Um, I just sent it for calibration, and they're kind of doing their thing with it. Um, but mass, massive shout out to. Josh Frost at uh, at Vintage King. That dude mm-hmm. is. If you need anything, reach out to that dude on Instagram or email or something. He is he is an awesome dude, and he like moves heaven and earth just to make sure that like you're all taken care of. So I agree. I am incredibly appreciative of him. So if you need anything, reach out to Josh. Um, so. Yeah, so I've just kind of been messing with that, and then back into the Hilo. And I mean, if I do anything in the computer. What have I been playing with in the computer? Are we really going into a gear episode, or it's it's? I think it has to be right. It's a typical signal flow workflow. It's all yeah. I gear. feel like it. <laughs> so it's like it, like the whole signal flow. It's like everything's different. Like no two right. 
times are the same. I mean, there was... But why? Explain why that is. Because I feel like a lot of people don't understand how that would be possible. Or even like you were talking about earlier, like the way you're placing your your manly limiter. Like, why uh, don't you want the, it to be hot? Things like that. Like, I feel like people don't even understand. Well, so. just like the general nature of a very mu. I mean, <clears throat> you're you're driving the input of it, and then that level is just going to kind of like regardless. Like the threshold can just be set at like as far off as you can, and if you're running into it hot enough, you're just going to kind of hit that level. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of how very muse work. You drive the input. If you like, if you don't want to drive the, the, the threshold and the ratio and all that stuff, it's like, and you need a little bit more level. Well, you can do that with the input and you just click up the input and the, any gain knob on this thing sounds fantastic. So you just click that up and then you just kind of like dial in your parameters to kind of move to the signal flow. Um, but it's like it was just coming out too hot, and it was like I don't really like don't really say a hot. I mean, like the thing was maybe triggering like one dB of gain reduction, but <laughs> it's like I don't really want that to be happening. So it's like if I wanted to be triggering that, I'm going to I, I physically want to dial in that reduction as opposed to the level that I'm sending through my rig dictating mm-hmm. how like hot that's going to be. So it's just personal preference of I don't want to put up with that so I'm going to move it earlier but I also feel like those three things that the back CQ the massive passive and the very mu could be their own little mastering chain in and of themselves but it does not always work because not everything needs that flavor Mm. I also say the output gain on it is like literally the bee's knees (laughs) it is the output gain on it is divine so I've really enjoyed that, and but I mean, I've just been, <clears throat> like I said, everything is different. I was playing with some really, really, really old signal, like, you know, some old material, just like kind of dialing things in, and I was just playing with the foot control systems, uh, P- P- P3S, and the Varimu, just stacking them differently, like, just because right now, uh, channel four and five are switchable on the backbone, and so I was like, okay, cool. Let me switch this in. Let me switch it out. And I was just flopping them. And I was like, wow, you could literally do a master with these two compressors. Like, there's so much like musical things happening. So it's like on the P3S, you have transformers you can input. And there's like so many different ways for this guy to attack, mm-hmm. no pun intended, like this material. And there's so many different ways that it can receive what's going on that. It's just like a really old tool, and I know a lot of people just really refer to it as like a desert island compressor. So I was like, man, if I receive this for like cheap, and I just like, I'm just going to nab it. So <clears throat> I did that, and I do not regret it, at least as of now. But like, it starts its gain reduction at a quarter dB that like you can meter it mm-hmm. very accurately. So I also. Uh, I want to promo another old podcast. I was telling Sam about it. It's SquareCAD, <laughs> and it's like the OG mastering podcast. And that guy who used to run it is Adam from Telegraph Mastering. He did. He interviewed Roger Foote, and this guy was some crazy, like, industrial electrical engineer where he designed parts and electronics for like dams and spillways and I, I can't remember. I was mowing my grass this summer. I was listening to the podcast and like 
He's like, yeah, and I have a compressor, and it's pretty much built to the same spec. And the specs that, like, for his stuff that he had to build professionally had to be so legit that if something ever went wrong, people's lives could be in jeopardy. And it's not a piece that you can very easily access with it probably being uh, several, like, hundred feet underground, perhaps. So it's like that's kind of the quality that's going into the P3S. And I was like, man, after just hearing this guy and see what people are just, they loving it, I was like, I got to try it. So and then having the option just to shave off a quarter dB, it's like, it's so like neurotic <laughs> of a thing to like want to do. But it's like, have you ever, Sam, have you ever seen, I don't know, I don't know if this is something you have seen. I like woodworking stuff on YouTube. Yes. And there's like these like Japanese guys with these really tiny hand planers and they're planing wood. And it's like they're literally pulling a sheet of paper huh. off of this thing of wood. Yeah. It's that's what this thing is capable of doing. <laughs> and so it just kind of blew my mind. Uh, but back on track, I mean, in the box, I mean, let's see. If it needs it, I'll pull up Ozone, but I really just use the EQ. I mean, I've told y'all what I do with the dynamic EQ if I need a little bit of a bump. I mean, I'll do that. I've been playing around recently with... I told Sam about this. I've been playing around recently with the uh, Sontek emulation from... Uh, Acoustica Audio, and I was not an Acoustica fan beforehand, mm -hmm. but this thing sounds incredible. So I was I was playing with that, and I've really been liking that. Um, Soothe is still pretty tasty. I had my first master recently without it on, but that was good. <laughs> the BXXL by Plugin Alliance is always fun. So that's kind of that. It's like, why do I choose what I choose? It's like, I don't know. I just want it. <laughs> so kind of answering that question, I guess, very quirky and quick. Um, I remember why when I started, why I picked the Neve first. I mean, and it was literally like the Swiss Army knife of things of this is like I have a compressor if I need it. I have a limiter if I need it. I have uh, transformer silk textures. I have... Uh, a stereo field editor. I mean, it was a great first piece to buy. I highly recommend it. Like, I, I honestly think that Sam and I should probably get some like commission from Sweetwater <laughs> Vintage King. I literally think I've sold four of these Neves for like between the two companies. I think I've sold four of them. Yes. And then like the Masilik MPL. There's a. It just sounds like an analog piece and what it's doing and it doesn't it doesn't do anything in like a weird way it's just it just tames things in a really tasty analog sounding way so i don't think it's strong enough to work on its own so i think you need like a second piece to be with it so i typically pair it with soothe or something else and the massive passive i mean that was a thing because like sam bought one and i was like I no no no. I went out to Nashville and then I heard it and I was like, ah, crap. And so I think, <laughs> I think six months later I saw a mastering version because you have a silver face. I do. Um, and I wanted a I wanted a mastering version and I try to do that whenever I can, just because I know the accuracy increases in terms of the uh, in terms of the pots and like the accuracy between channels. I know that's. I, I think it's like it's ninety percent better, but it's like me saying that's like so facetious because it's like <laughs> I think it's normally like there's ten percent accuracy, 
between channels with the non-mastering versions and then with the mastering versions, I think they get down to like a percent. Yeah. So it's like I can get very facetious, be like, oh, there's 90% difference, but it's not really like that much. But it's enough to make a difference channel to channel. So uh, I got a mastering version. I really like it. And then I don't know. What else do I have that I just randomly got I got the backbone just because it was a killer deal it was like 3600 bucks and I'd never seen one for under four so I was like I gotta find a way to make this sucker work <laughs> tell people what that is <laughs> the what oh the backbone yeah. it's just a it's just an insert switcher like so like you have uh, <clears throat> like I have like three inputs I can choose from so like say I ever get a tape machine or something like that and someone sends me tapes um, I can just select say input two and then I can input uh, that signal right to the uh, right into my signal chain, and then so I have three inputs. You have left, right, reverse, which is handy. Uh, you have a gain insert, and whenever it's not inserted, it's a completely passive box. And then you have a left and right phase inver- inversion. So that is for like, uh, say you have like a kick that just doesn't sound right. You can invert the phase of left and right, and so maybe instead of when the kick was hitting, it was actually pulling the woofer cone back as opposed to pushing it forward. And it's just a really quick one-button thing, and it's like you can see if it works. Um, so you have input gains. You have uh, a stereo widener, which gets activated when you push like the first light under all the inputs, um, activating the MS uh, matrix. Um, channel 1 is your basic channel. 2 and 3 uh, can get switched into MS. They normally don't have anything on them just because I don't like to use things in MS. Like if I had, I don't know, if like you get, say, like that mass look EQ or something really, really clean, that would be something you would put into MS like as a piece of gear. Mm-hmm. But like the massive passive, uh, it's... That's not really a piece that I want to do that to. So, I don't know. I mean, like, another Bax, you could probably do that. So, it's like you have, like, some weird stuff going on on the sides, on the top end, and you could kind of null it out. Or, I mean, if you don't even want to come out of the box, you just get a second Bax, you put it on MS, and you can kind of do, like, a little elliptical filter thing to where you're monoing the base on the sides. So... Which is important if you're going to vinyl cutting or something like that. Um, four and five are cool and switchable. Six and seven are normal. Eight is kind of weird. Eight comes after, from what I've read, <clears throat> it doesn't get used. Eight comes after everything else in the chain, and you have like three op. We well, have four options you can do with it. You can just turn it on. You can do. You can. You have like this fader next to eight. That's like. It's like the smoothest like operating knob you've ever turned in your <laughs> life. Um, so you can essentially you can do your own manual fade outs if you have that enabled, which is fun. Um, it's a cool party trick. You can do like you can do parallel compression with it. So like right above fade, you can go into mix mode to where you can blend like a signal into it. If you're like hitting a compressor, it's normally like a limiter right there. Um, if you wanted to hit that hard. It's like if you had like a really vibey transformer or like tone box and you wanted to like blend that tone in. I mean, that's another option. Um, Then you have the mixed difference mode, which is a stereo widening bizarro mode thing. 
And Manly says, we, 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 we say that we make guns, but we don't pull triggers. <laughs> so uh, essentially what it is is it feeds some of the out-of-phase signal from the output back into the input. From what I understand, uh, don't quote this, and you can blend that in. And so it, it, it kind of makes a wide, as you blend it in, it makes a, like a little bit of a wider feel. And it's cool, but it gets out of hand really, really quick. Mm-hmm. But it's like if I have like a psychedelic band, which I just had like five guys in my tiny room, it sounded weird. And like they're all listening, and I was like, well, I can actually fix this weird phase issue that you have, like them wanting phase of their psych band. Yeah. So we can do that if you want to get weird. And so you can do that. And then, so then after that, you just have your, your output gain. So, and it just does like some other cool tricks. Like in the manual, they tell you how to mod it. It's like, if you want to mod it for this, just do this and switch these like jumpers here. <laughs> and they're like, just like the, the stuff that they thought of. They have two outputs. So I have one going to my meters and then one going back to my helo. They have, or whatever AD I'm using. <clears throat> they have like insert six has a second insert on the back to where if you just wanted to have a bunch of XLRs just... If you just wanted to have like two XLRs or four XLRs hanging out the side of your desk, if you ever had gear come in, you could just demo it and just turn on insert six. Yeah. It's just random things that like they've just been asked about it so much over the years that they just kind of integrated it into their into their console. So I really enjoyed it. I have <clears throat> like of course, like you look at the stuff you don't have, like that uh, was like the MTX one that Maslick has. It's like that beefy mas- uh, mastering uh, transfer console, but it's just like, yeah, I wouldn't even use half that crap. So, <laughs> but it's like you look at, it, you're like, man, that's so cool. But I don't have like three U's to dedicate to that. And it's like this is a nice little two U unit. It runs off uh, Elcos, not DB twenty fives. So. I'm going to be making new snakes for it, and I have a, a wire or cable company to tell you all about when we do our official gear episode, which I guess this could be it, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of my chain and signal flow, and uh, I would say no two chains are the same. Right. It's like nine, ton, nine, nine times out of ten, it's, it's always different. And so you know me, I'm trying to always do stuff and... I'm making my little super chain at the beginning that maybe I just need three pieces of gear. And in all honesty, some of the most difficult stuff is to, like you spend four, five, six thousand dollars on a piece of gear. Probably the most difficult thing to do is to say, no, I'm not going to use this. Right. So this is a game about solving people's problems, not getting your tone across. So, so anyway, Sam, I have uh, officially spoken for close to 30 minutes per this. <laughs> It's great <laughs> for this counter. So if you uh, if you want to chime in and <laughs> wrap uh, not wrap that up, but if you want to, you know, take 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 the rest of the time and the, I'll the, take two, the two minutes we have left. <laughs> I can talk about my <laughs> signal We got. I'd love to hear. It. We got some time. Um, <laughs> my signal flow. Here we go. So I use a Lynx Helo as my converter in and out. I know Matt is not exactly... And we use it as monitor controllers, which is really important. You're going through a phase that you don't love the way it comes back in. Um, I have a theory, though. Yes? I I don't know. And it could be completely unfounded, (laughs) but I think, like, my AD card might be going. Oh! And... But it's like, 
if I can find another AD I like better, it's right. like, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I use the links, and then, like Matt, there's not a typical chain, but there is a typical workflow that I do, which a lot of people don't do, and it's not a secret, but I like to limit right up front um, for tone and character. Usually I will use the Better Maker Mastering Limiter, which is, to me, the sound of modern music. That's how I describe it. It gets really loud if you want it. It's got a color saturation section. It's got awesome metering, which I actually don't really use a whole lot of that um, since I use it right up front. It has um, MS mode. It has limiter and clipping options, so you can go back-to-back limiter clip. Um so depending on the content, I do a lot of pop, rap. I do a lot of loud records. The mixes are loud. They expect them masters to be louder, and that is great. And I find the Better Maker to handle that really well. There's a lot of analog gear that does not do well with quick transients and very kind of punchy, loud music. Um, Analog to me has the tendency to smear things, especially tubes. That's like when you're talking about the massive passive mat, which I have a massive passive. Usually that follows my limiter. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of my, it's not a secret sauce, but I usually, my typical workflow would be probably the limiter into the massive passive. And then from there, it's a question mark. Um, I find very few things don't sound better after hitting that back to back. Um mm-hmm. But the massive passive can be sluggish um, with the tubes. Yes. And so for some of the co- content that I do, pop, rap, stuff like that, it can make the kicks feel less impactful. It can make everything feel more full and maybe three-dimensional, but that's not always the case. And so I will choose to maybe not use the massive passive just run through it through the in and out which still I think has a slight color to it mm-hmm. um, and then from there there's a number of options so depending on the song if it needs more coloring more analog um, if the client requests that or if something just sounds really digital and thinned out I can hit the overstayer MAS it's the mastering rotary edition um, it has harmonics and some shelving EQ and then some blend knobs, so that's pretty beefy. Um, I have stereo Poltex solid state ones, vintage, um, that were restored, and it has many of the original components from the 60s in it, and those things are very edgy and upfront sounding, um, but not in a harsh way, so pretty sweet there if I need something to be in in your face vocals drums kick uh, they're killer actually on like pop stuff awesome on uh, rock anything rock the guitars everything just gets harder in a good way um, not in a harsh way but it can just really bring some edge um, running through there I have the stam uh, sa4 thousand which is the SSL G comp um, and that sounds like an SSL compressor it's very uh, everybody describes it as glue it is glue 
It makes the mid-range and the top end solidify. Um, it's also really good at thinning muddy things out. So if there is something that's muddy or kind of tubby in the bottom end, just running it through there, the nature of SSL and the comp is... Uh, and one of the things people don't like about it sometimes is it feels like it thins out the bottom end a bit. Um, but you get this insane glue and cohesive sound. So a lot of people hit the G comp and then hit a low end EQ after. But sometimes if something sounds muddy, just using that compressor, it'll EQ basically by compression, which is something I think in my typical workflow signal flow is... I'm always thinking about what the gear actually does and not necessarily like traditionally a lot of people will just be like, oh, if I want more, if I want less low and then I'll grab an EQ where I'll be like, well, if I want less low and I'll use this compressor that does it to me better in a more tasteful mm -hmm. way. So that was one of the things like early on in my mastering journey <laughs> was one of the bigger guys I shadowed like, he made me master songs just with EQs and then master them just with compressors. And you figure out really quickly what things just sound like in general if you're using hardware. It's pretty incredible what you can change EQ and compression-wise just by the way you run things in and out, how hot they are, the signal. If you clip things, you can, you can clip anything. You can clip any piece of gear. You don't have to have a clipping Thing. It doesn't mean it'll sound good, but you can basically distort and saturate and clip any piece of gear, and that has a sound to it. Um, but anyway, I use that um, to solidify things for cohesiveness. I mean, it sounds great on rock stuff, indie stuff, some pop stuff. It can sound very radio-like. Um, I mean, tons of stuff's been made on SSL, so, um, so that's not like n new info. Um, I have the Black Lion AM Cha AM CHA one mastering EQ they made for a hot minute. It's pretty sweet. It's got vintage Synmag transformers. It's a Poltec style EQ. Um, it sounds very dense. Um, and it sounds old school. It's kind of rounded, lo-fi sounding. It will take a harsh sounding mix and make it sound warm without really adding anything. It just kind of sounds like it rolls off and tames harshness. It is not good for modern music usually, <laughs> like pop, things that want to be really bright. It has a very vintage sound to it, which is probably the vintage Synmag Transformers, <laughs> hence the vintage. Um... I have the Elysium. When do I become so old that I become vintage? <laughs> exactly. 25 years. That's a classic, I think. So I don't know so what we're the vintage, age is vintage by six years. Yeah. Um, I have the Alicia Expressor, which is a killer compressor. Um, it has an, a warm button on it that engages, I think. Uh, I'm 100%. I'm, I'm almost 100% sure I'm wrong, but I want to say it engages an iron type transformer. I might be right. Someone correct me when they listen to this. Um, and that's really cool. Adds a lot of density and beef. I notice it most in kicks and snares um, and bass. So if something feels like it lacks punch, I can hit that button in real quick. 
and process it that way without using EQ. And then it has awesome parallel. You know, you can do parallel blending within it, which is always fun. And then I have the TubeTech. Um, I always forget. It's LCA Tubi. Tubi. <laughs> it is tubes, not called Tubi. The number two, then B. And, you should uh, just call it Tubi. The Tubi. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. It's great. And that is um, it's a compressor and a limiter. Uh, most people don't read manuals, but the manual of this and why I bought it is it's uh, it mimics Fairchild attack and release and characteristics. Um, so a lot of people always want to like buy Fairchild and you can't, um, or you buy the Unfairchild, which is $10,000. And uh, in the manual, it also says that this isn't necessarily a Fairchild, but it was inspired by the Fairchild uh, compressor. So I really like it. So is it a Varimu, or what kind of compressor is it? Uh, yeah, that's what it is. It's a Varimu? Mm-hmm. Nice. So Normally, Varimus are... Uh, it's not 670-inspired. It's 660-inspired, uh, I think. Or, yeah. Because the 660 was the mono version, and I think the 70. I think is that's the where, like, like the 670 is just like the very popular one, but yeah, uh, most very mu was the 660. I've, I've recently learned, or at least I think I've learned that the Fairchild was a a take on an old Rode and Schwartz compressor, like it's just a. Uh, modern platform limiter of the time. Yeah. And like a German company. Recently learned that, didn't know that. But yeah, the um, most very mu designs are based off of the 660 or 670. It's actually it's a VCA compressor. Oh, okay. But it says uh on their manual, I just looked at the manual cuz I didn't want to misspeak. It says uh it's also known as a very mu a very mu compressor. So really? I don't know what that means. It's literally right here on the tube tech thing. So huh. so it's VCA and Varimu? I guess. Is there a way to like you switch it in and out or maybe it's versus the compressor and the limiter cuz it's huh. both. Um So anyway, huh. those that are listening, where I'm learning something now that I'm rereading this. Yeah, Varimu is like a variable gain, right? Is essentially what Varimu stands for. And VCA is a voltage control attenuator. Huh. Yeah, I'm just reading what it says. So anyway, I'll have um, to look into it. yeah, it says right here. It says the equivalent of the Fairchild 670. Um, so it's was designed with that in mind. It says delivering similar action transparency of the high frequencies, and that's really what it does. Like Fairchild to me always sounds very kind of mid range, top end, hyped in a nice mm-hmm. way. And that's how this sounds. It's very energetic. Um, it's great for things that sound boring. It's great to bring vocals out front. Anything that sounds like there is a blanket over it, this thing will erase that blanket and take it off. So that's cool. Um, I have API old preamps from the Mastering Labs console from the Sax Brothers. Those things sound really fun. Um, they're very vintage, they're very edgy API, they're very dirty if they get pushed. 
So they're not always mastering application, but if someone wants the 70s sound, perfect. Um, and then I have the CBS um, volume max limiter that they used to use on broadcasts from CBS. Mm. And that thing is a multi-band uh, limiter, and it is freaking sweet. It is loud. I had it modded um, to have higher headroom. I call it for max loudness. And um, it's cool. It's got a very unique sound. It tames. I mean, that thing's a freaking glue, too. Like, it can just make a kind of unsolidified mix feel super solid and Hmm. broadcast ready. (laughs) Hence the name. So they were used forever, you know, on TV and broadcasts, and um, they have a sound. That doesn't always mean it's good either. I mean, sometimes we, like, glorify old gear, but it was crummy. But um, because old TV broadcast doesn't always sound great (laughs) if you ever listen to it. Um, But anyway... It's a it's a fun piece of gear. It gets used on, I don't know, not a ton of records, but sometimes it's just the right thing. It sounds kind of vintagey and exciting, and um, it's just nice to have that as an option. So uh, I have Duro meters, and I have tons of metering in the box, which is more important to me. I find that to be better and faster and more accurate now. Um, so I use in-the-box metering because everything comes back in, and I use Fab Filter. I have the Waves WNS, I think that's what it's called, um, which measures LUFs and RMS and True Peak and all that. And a lot of people use that. It's pretty standard. You just read the meter <laughs> if you want to. I don't know um, if that's very important to you. And that's kind of it. Like, the typical signal chain is dictated by the content always um, and based on my expertise and also what the client is describing they want. Uh, I think Matt and I both would say our most important thing is just our ears and listening, which is very typical. But there are so many people who do not listen and don't have the discernment to not use gear and keep it in the box if it just needs to stay in the box. There are products I do that never leave the computer if it's coming from a really well-tracked recording, the mix is good. There are plenty of guys in town who make killer records that even if they were all in the box, they still sound great. But there's a lot of guys who work out of the box, still use consoles, and the mix is already close to the final level. And taking it out of the box just seems to introduce problems or Mm -hmm. sometimes we can lose. (laughs) It's amazing, like, mixes that get hit into consoles, it's very hard to improve if it's done right on the density and loudness um, that's present. And taking it out of the box seems to usually be detrimental to it. Um, I can get it louder or things, but it feels like the vibe, and there's a lot of interesting low-end and harmonics extension from consoles, so it's probably not technically low-end, but it's based off the low-end that I find to go away when I take it out of the box if it's a really well-put-together mix and slammed from a console. So, Yeah, I mean, if if you're dealing with something that's already 
pretty darn harmonically rich. Yep. I mean, why would you want to go out of your way to lose something like that? Right. So it's like, if it's just not going to work, it's not going to work, and yep. I'm not going to hop out of the box just to hit the backs. Right. <laughs> it's like, the backs EQ, the hardware sounds almost identical to the plug-in. The only reason you buy like a hardware backs is because you actually believe it or not, you treat it differently. Yeah. Than you would treat a plug-in. So it's like if it were just that, I'm just gonna stay. I'm just gonna stay 100 in the box. There's no reason, like hopping through, like two things of conversion, in and out. Like why would you want to detrimentally harm something? And then right. like. Okay, so say that it's like already really hot, really can't take any more signal. You don't really want to cut the level down because you don't really want to do too much to it. So it's like you cut the level down. It's like who knows what's going to happen to that harmonically. You hop out. Something might get shaved off. You bump up. And if you do come back in and you, you are clipping anybody that converter, well, guess what's going first? It's all that stuff you love. So right. it's, like, it's like is it really worth it to do that? So... I mean, a lot of, like, probably the most difficult decisions are saying, it's like, yeah, I have, like, twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of stuff sitting in front of me, but right. it's not worth touching any of this because this stuff is so close to perfect right. that you just, like, I'm just going to pull up the fab filter. <laughs> right. And, I mean, that's part of our, that's part of my, <clears throat> my signal flow is my, my experience is, like, Choosing, like you're saying, choosing to not do anything is equally as important as choosing choosing to do something. And people hire me and, and Matt and everybody else who's in the industry like for our opinion on whether or not this is done and ready for a public release. And so even if I hear something, and I used to not understand this when I first started, but I would read articles from mastering guys who would say, like, even if you, you know, you hire me and I do nothing and just say you're done, you know, it's worth the money. And I used to be like, that's a that's a rip. Like, you should do something. But, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't know anything. <laughs> so now I understand that because after 10 years of mastering albums, it's like there are not a ton of albums, but there are times when I get something and it is just like, all right, we just need to get this to level to match the rest of the album and kind of finesse it here and there. But it's it doesn't need to do anything. And if I do something to it, I'm going to be disrespecting the client's vision or the mixer's vision who is like, hey, everybody signed off on this. This is terrific. So it's not my job to go, well, let me put my signature stamp on it just yeah. for the sake of trying to do that or have like an ego or or me needing to feel like I did something to then get paid like they're not in a place to say it's done outside of they all are really stoked on it but then you hire a master and engineer really to say I've listened to hundreds of thousands of songs and worked on tens of thousands of songs and I know what a finished product sounds like. And sometimes that means I don't do anything. I don't leave the box. And I just stay in the box. And that is totally fine. Um, and that's part of my job as well. So typical signal flow workflow. 
you know, it all comes back in. I still work in Logic for capturing and pitching. Um, I've used many a DAW, many a mastering program. And um, I just like Logic. I use, I do a good amount of automation for people too. I can automate coming out of the box into the gear so it hits the gear differently at different parts, which gives it a different color and variety, which is something I am kind of known for in town of doing some automation stuff. And once again, it's as ne- as needed. I don't do it to be cute or something. <laughs> I just do it because I think it <laughs> enhances and gets us closer to where the client wants it to be and what they've described, and not every project gets that. Um but I like the automation workflow and logic. A lot of mastering DAWs have terrible actual automation outside of like just a level. Um, so I work in logic and then finalize in Triumph still. I know at some point I have to leave Triumph because they're no longer in business. So that'll get phased out. But as of now, for metadata and DDP and everything, that's still required for coding and tracking and CD delivering. It's working just fine still, thankfully, but I know at some point I'll have to switch. So, Hmm. But once I get there, I will. Or maybe people have really stopped making CDs. I don't know. (laughs) Then I won't have to do that. So anyway, that's kind of what I do in the box. Um, I work on an iMac. Don't know if that's important, but I found iMacs to be freaking workhorses. <laughs> so I've done the laptop thing. Uh, I've done a Mac Mini uh, back in the day. Now Mac Minis are, you can like fully pimp those things out. But back in the yeah. day, you couldn't. Uh, they had RAM I limitations. used to not be a Mac Mini fan. Uh, used them a bunch at like various churches and like yeah. a simple program would crash them and just like, oh, this isn't really worth it. So yeah. they always, it always just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. But I've heard recently from like a handful of people that it just, they're just a lovely Yeah, the new ones, box. I just went to a different studio to mix two songs for a day and um, they are running a brand new Mac Mini. And it was just crushing everything <laughs> I threw at it. So mm. I was very impressed, super stable, you know, 100-track session with plugins and then patching, and it had no issues. So um, so I was impressed on that. little side note. But, yeah, I, I run everything on... It's like a five-year-old iMac now. Um, yeah, mine's like late 2015. And it just cruises, man. It's yeah. I feel like nothing has happened to it, gotten slower. Um, obviously, I don't do a ton of recording, so if I was doing full-blown session stuff and buses and routing and mixing, probably have to have a different computer. But for mastering, it's pretty simple. It's like one, you know, one stereo channel basically <laughs> coming in and out. Um, but yeah, that's what I that's what I do. And um, once again, you just pick you pick what's needed, and then you also don't use things when it's not needed, and that is just the best wisdom I can give people when we talk about signal flow and workflow and why we choose things or not choose things is it's all about serving the client as always. And it's all about um, knowing when to use things and not use things. So that's all I got, Matt. Nice. Secret gear episode in the bag for 2020. 
Yeah, I'll probably still label this workflow and signal flow. Oh, we'll probably still do a gear episode. Yeah. Because people will probably want to know, like, random little idiosyncrasies right. that go beyond workflow. And like, okay, why did you sell this? Or why did you buy this? Or why did you, like, what is it about this that you didn't care for or something? Yeah. Or I don't know. So it's like we might still we might still entertain a gear episode. But this is kind of a a faux like rundown of what's going on in the rig as of right now. <clears throat> so it's all it's all pretty good. So, it's all gravy, as, baby. Yeah, I'm kind. I also am trying to figure out the whole triumph thing. Uh, I am contemplating a move to Wave Lab Ten, but. It's like whenever I have time. I didn't get around to it in December, and my Mac was like still on El Capitan, and so I needed to, <laughs> I needed to upgrade. I'm guys. I'm at High Sierra right now. It's uh, it's January of 2020. I'm in High Sierra, so I, I think we've made it. <laughs> Everyone's like flying on like Mojave, like avoiding Catalina still. I'm still on High so. Sierra as well. Oh, you are. I am. Yeah, I have arrived. Yeah. So I'm behind, but High Sierra has been so freaking stable. It's like, yeah, it feels really it's solid. Everything, so. all my programs, email, like everything just seems to flow super well. Yeah. So I'm very scared <laughs> to change anything. I wouldn't. Coming from El Capitan, like the only reason I upgraded is because it's like I like, like real logic wasn't being supported. So I'm running on a crack. And I can't download real logic, and I'm like, okay, I need to wait till I have downtime. I need to back everything of everything up, and then we just need to make this move. And that was December, and Matt's finally legal. Everyone, I'm finally legal with logic. <laughs> Spent and then, forty grand on gear, but he wouldn't buy logic. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't want to upgrade. <laughs> I know you didn't want to change. Your I was system, El Capitan so. for life, and then like stuff just like was. Like, everything needed to update, but nothing would update. Like, right. Damn it. Okay. We'll make this happen. They forced so, you. Yeah. So, Wave Lab is kind of... Like, I couldn't download that because I couldn't do my demo in December. So, <laughs> I'm still planning on doing that. Uh, Justin Perkins, if you're out there, who always talks to me about Wave Lab, you're a wonderful human. You <laughs> give me all the information, and I can't wait to come to you with every... Uh, every fire to put out of mine <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in the session so we will be in touch so I hear he runs a pretty solid wave lab forum on Facebook so I'll probably be joining that too so anyway that's workflow and uh, yeah I hope you like that episode little mini gear episode mm -hmm. and I imagine Sam has some sweet beats queued up from beesabeats.com by Sam's Beats and if you want some gear, we have a gear site. Uh, I think it's like theattackandreleaseshow.com. We got some whiskey glasses and socks and mugs and stuff. You want to pick anything up? I don't know what we still have. I think this will air late February, early March. So I don't know what we'll have then. But Sam and I are just trying to yep. break even so we can do gear for you every year. Each week. Gear, gear every year. We sell so a little more gear merchandise. Maybe, maybe one of these years, Sam and I will just make a little booth at NAM and just sell our <laughs> gear. <laughs> we'll just like go out to Winter NAM, which is like a bunch of boxes of gear. Yes. 
It's like, what are y'all doing? It's like, oh yeah, we're just selling mugs. Selling okay. mugs. It's That's actually not a bad idea. I know. And then I'll genius. just turn around and spend it on more gear. No, the goal is to break even. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's all we want to do. Help us we break even. We just want to break even so we can just buy more stuff to sell to you. Matt and I are It's like very an ever-revolving thing. Even. Like, there's no profit being made in this. No. Not as of Eventually, now. like, there will just be nothing because, like, the shipping will just eat up everything. <laughs> so. <clears throat> yes. We'll figure it out one of these years. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, morning? Afternoon? Even kind of sound like Barack Obama right there. <laughs> he was like really quick. He has a talk. Yes, he does. <laughs> I don't do really. I don't do like impressions well. Like under right under pressure. So yes. I'm not even gonna try there. I have a pretty good Bernie Sanders one, but I can't like I can't do it under pressure of the podcast. <laughs> so, anywho, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, give us some like stars on the pod on the iTunes, the podcast. Yeah, go over there and do things. Do that. So, anywho, Sam, cue the music, please. Cueing. See y'all later.